Hi, Public Health Insiders. Happy holidays. So we've heard through the grapevine that many people in our community are looking for tips on graduate school applications, as well as securing their practicum positions as a part of their program. So in this episode, what we've done is assembled our awesome team who will be sharing their lessons learned so that you can put your best foot forward. Let's get into it. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it's important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. You're listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for all things public health and global health, from the sustainable development goals to the social determinants of health, as well as interesting dialogues about the diverse career opportunities that exist in these fields. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so other people like you can benefit from our content. My name is Bindra, your host for this episode, along with my three co-hosts, Gordon, Jawaria, and Purva. Hello! I might have to give you my new mic, Bindra. (laughs) I don't deserve... I don't deserve to keep my new mic after that fantastic <laughs> not, not introduction. Okay, so let's start off with what's the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to doing your grad school applications? Mm. Can you guys remember how you started that process, what you did to prepare, and the main things to keep in mind to make sure that you're putting in your best application? Start with Jay. She's the most recent one of us. Yeah, yeah. You want to, Joy, you want to go for it? Absolutely. So for myself, I just applied this past cycle for 2021, I guess. So a few key points. One that I struggled with a lot before actually applying is to ensure you know why you are applying, which is It sounds like a given, but one question I got a lot from my mentors or from my professors was, well, why are you considering applying for an MPH or an MHI program? And And I would think, well, isn't it obvious? Like, I'd like to continue my education. But the reality is that is not substantial enough to pursue a master's degree, especially in my case, because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of commitment, especially when you're already working and are advancing your professional career at the same time. So one thing to really sit down and to brainstorm and create like a mind map is what are the opportunities you feel that a master's is going to lead you to? Are you looking to delve more into the academia side of things? Or are you hoping that it adds that next level to your professional career? And to also just think about your personal timelines and how that's going to fit in. Do they have virtual options? Do they have part-time options? Are those things important to you? And also just the mission of these particular programs at various universities. Um, I think the main thing to keep in mind when applying is really doing your research into the schools and the programs that you're interested in, because that fundamentally shapes your entire program and like the degree that you pursue. You could do an MPH program at UFT and it'll look very different from doing it at McMaster. And that's just something to keep in mind and to ensure you're applying to a school that you are confident that you'll feel safe in and that'll give you the platform that you need to grow and flourish as a student and as a professional. Those are all really good points and something else that definitely needs to come to mind, especially if 
finances are something that you need to consider. I really liked making a like spreadsheet of all the things that I was like all the programs I was interested in and adding all the things that Joya said, maybe like a little mission thing. What does their practicum situation look like? How long is the practicum? Is there a practicum? How much the tuition fees are? Looking at the city that they're in itself, maybe the tuition in Toronto is lower than the MPH at Western, but is it cheaper to live in London versus Toronto? Mm -hmm. Those are some things that definitely come to mind when that help that I was dwindling down when I was looking at things to apply to. And just to go off of the bit that you mentioned, Jory, about really thinking about why you want to apply. I remember the first day of my master's in global health, the head, like the dean of the program, or the dean of the program? Yeah, the dean of the program, I think it was, was at our orientation. And she just mentioned, she's like, you know, like some of you guys might be here because you wanted to continue studying, didn't want to really know what you wanted to do after work. Obviously, everyone laughed because mood. (laughs) Also, there were like so many master's programs out there. Like you could have done an MPH, you could have done a research-based master's, you could have gone into biology, genetics, or public health. Why did you pick this specific program. There are many options out there. So even if you're like, well, yeah, like I like public health or I like healthcare. It's why I picked MPH or a master's in global health. Okay, but why this one? What is it about this program that makes you want to apply there? And like really self-reflecting inward and being like, hey, why is it that I really want to do this? That helps so much when it comes to writing your letter of intent, which is a very daunting task. It's not an easy thing to write, even though it's not that long. Um, It's going to be kind of like the backbone of your entire application. Why are you applying and why do you think they need to like accept your application? Comes at the backbone of why specifically this program and why, what can you bring to it? So having that little like key message there, and then making your application around it and using that key message as a way to narrow down on what you want to apply to, I think is like a great first step. Yeah, I think figuring out your story is so important. Like I remember that's something I did even before I started my applications. Like I really just sat there and think, like thought about, okay, this is why I want to go into public health. This is These are the reasons why mm-hmm. I may consider applying to public health versus other master's programs. And I think just realizing yourself why you want to pursue that helps you better frame your um, letter of intent when you get to writing it, right? I also really like Purva, what you said about comparing. Like I made, I did the same thing. I made an Excel spreadsheet and I just compared different programs to see, okay, yeah. this is what each one has. This is what each one requires. And this is how I can decide, um, you know, which is the best fit for me. I think that's really important. Um, I guess a question I had for you guys is how did you, like, how did you decide these are the programs I want to apply to? Like, how did you shortlist, you know, your top programs that you were sending in your applications to? I made a pros and cons list. (laughs) I was way too methodical with it, I feel. But uh, yeah, a pros and cons list of things that I really liked about the program, things that would make me not choose it if I got an offer elsewhere. And like the two that I was comparing was the MPH in London and the Masters in Global Health at McMaster. So for those listening, I ended up doing my global health at McMaster. And one of the main reasons um, that I really liked that program was they had a international like traveling aspect to it, right? There was a two week um, course that we were going to go to, to India, and we were going to do a very involved, like community involved project for two weeks. And 
being someone who hadn't traveled before and obviously be, with it being global health, I thought that aspect of it was really important and really, really great. But the other reason that that program was number one for me is because it was just more affordable. The MPH in London is really expensive mm-hmm. and you can't get OSAP for it. So while it has a great program and I think the alumni support is incredibly better than it was in my global health program, there were just other aspects of it that I had to consider personally um, that maybe weren't something that other people had to consider. Um, That's another thing. Definitely keep an eye out for when you're applying. You're not going to be obviously thinking about alumni things when you're applying to programs, but you want to see the type of career support that they have available to you after you graduate. Like, how are they going to be able to prepare you for the workforce? Um, What do their statistics look like on how many graduates were successfully able to get a job within the one year of graduating? Those type of stats are actually really important and they will, like, depending on how much support they will provide you, you can see success quicker after you graduate for sure. Yeah, and even not just after your program, but even for practicum opportunities. I feel like some programs don't offer, you know, certain positions at certain organizations. They don't provide you with access to um, certain practicum opportunities out there. And I think that's really important to consider as well in terms of what kind of network does a school have? What can they provide me with? Mm -hmm. Um, And where do you envision yourself working? Like if you're, you know, if you apply to a program in a different province, do you think you're going to work in that province afterwards? Or do you think that you want to go to a program where you in a city that you see yourself working in after you graduate? I think there's many different factors to consider. And at the end of the day, I feel like it comes down to what you prioritize and how you want to, you know, pursue your career. Yeah, one of the things that gets a little bit mixed up in the shuffle when we're talking about stories or passion or purpose is the fact that even seeing something as opportunistic or advantageous is also a good thing so what i mean by that is if you're for example i went to winnipeg so manitoba no desire to work in manitoba at all despite my practicum supervisor's attempts recently to bring me back there to work but strategically i saw that if i went there it would have given me an advantage in other things so it's not necessarily that i was going there to work on infectious diseases and remain there or take advantage of the infrastructure that exists in that province it's more like how would i be able to explain the edge that i got from this and that's something you could do retrospectively too so you can do things thinking about it before or you can look back and say how has this experience given me an advantage in this new domain and that's something that I feel feel like I've done really well with talking about pan-canadian experience that's a buzzword and why is that pan-canadian experience important to the job that you're applying for so even that's something even though that's not something I intended to do from the outset it's something that I can look back at and say, these are the reasons why I'm better for doing this experience. I just don't want people to think that don't make any moves until you have explanations for why you should do something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the explanation comes after, but obviously you want to think about things, think through things before you do it, but you can also re-explain some of your experiences or reframe them so that it can help you out in the future. Yeah, think long-term. 
Mm-hmm. So in terms of the actual application process itself. Oh, no, we have to talk about that. <laughs> yes, I feel like we should give people tips on, you know, how they can make their application. I feel like we need the to... best. <laughs> I'm tapping out of that one. It's been so long. <laughs> we need insider tips from PHI. We're about talking about applications. I think Jawara is ready. Not... Yep, oh Jawara is ready no. to go. Let, let loose, Jawara. Go for tell it. us, Jawara. Tell us. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just straight up no. Oh Don't so apply. Definitely make sure that you're doing mental health check-ins as you're going through applications mm. for any post, um, anything that you're doing after undergrad. Definitely go, like, make sure that you're taking it at a sustainable pace. I remember in second year, my clinical psych prof had said that the hardest thing that you'll do in your academic journey is apply for after undergrad for masters and beyond and it just gets harder every time that you have to do it because you just develop a sense of what you want to do and it becomes even harder to fit all of that onto into one application which is usually one single spaced page of your entire life and everything that you want to do so i definitely say make sure that you ha- you're taking it at a sustainable pace where if you know you're someone who works very last minute, you need to start thinking about it earlier about just in terms of kind of what Binder was talking about in terms of what is your story and how are you going to present yourself to this pool of people that are going to be evaluating your statement against so many others, what makes you stand out? And if it's not really what makes you stand out, really just what is it that you're trying to convey? Why are you trying to pursue this program? Um, I think that really sets the stage and what makes a personal statement different from a cover letter? I, I think a really important component of writing a good personal statement is that it should not look like a cover letter. It shouldn't include things that they're going to see on your CV anyway. So in my personal experience, I had to do a lot of cutting down on just like academic or like essentially just academic components that I was adding in where I had to reevaluate, well, sure this is what i did but why did i do it like why did i pursue particular research projects it's not the quantitative mechanism that's really the center point of your personal statement but rather why did you choose to partake in these projects especially as undergrad students who had so much going on so you really want to highlight that underlying reasoning behind why you chose to do what you did so and that doesn't have to be in terms of research that could be in terms of why did you take a gap year why did you decide to be a part-time student you want to really highlight the underlying story behind those decisions that you've made that have led you to this really big next step of applying for a program of your interest yeah i think going off it's right in the name it's a statement of interest or statement of intent and it's not oh my gosh also be prepared to start from scratch several times oh yeah over and over again it's like that the classic scene you see in cartoons where the character like scrunches up the paper throws Mm. it behind there's a pile of crumpled paper that needs to be recycled people don't write on paper anymore jerry come on it's all typing on macbooks and stuff (laughs) not it's a statement of interest like why are you interested to apply and kind of telling your journey as it is like i find it, it's basically what Jura said like you're not going to be um you're not supposed to just regurgitate what's in your resume they're gonna see that you don't need to say i did this yeah they're not gonna ask you to just regurgitate they can see that in your 
resume that you or your CV um, that you did this many years of this and you then you did this and then then you did that. You got to talk about your thought process behind it. Why did you take this step in your career and why is it leading you to this moment in time of applying to this specific program and then how will that help you or how will it help them to have you in the program i'm not a big fan of also on total aside you don't have to have an emotional heartbreaking story to write Mm -hmm. a statement of interest i think there's that um almost like i don't know if phrasing it is wrong but um buying out your trauma almost like you don't need to sell your trauma in order to get into a program and I think a lot of people feel like oh so and so person had this to talk about and it made their um, application so strong or you'll see stories from universities where it'll be like this person went through so many hardships and that's why they decided to go into med school or that's why they decided to do an MPH you don't need to have a traumatic story or background story to valid, like have a valid reason for you to apply or be considered good at what you want to apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely keep that in mind. Don't try and buy out your trauma or if you don't have something that you consider traumatic, like that's okay. Just talk very naturally and honestly, kind of from your heart. It's an yeah. opportunity for you to do like almost like a storytelling mm-hmm. about your statement of interest and why you want to go here. Um, Just, yeah. Like, I really put yourself on paper. Don't worry about, like, oh, this sounds, like, kind of personal or this sounds, like, emotional. That's okay. The whole point of it is to show who you are and why you want to do this. Be very genuine while still being professional, obviously. Um, I think that's my main thing. Like, really put yourself on the paper. Don't try and write what you think they want to hear. Because they can see through that, right? They can tell when you're faking your application or because they've read so many of these. I think the admission community knows what they're doing. Um, and it's hard to to fake your story, right? They're gonna they're not gonna want you if they can see that you're not being genuine yeah. and honest. To be to have a unique application that stands out you need to be yourself because you are unique your Mm -hmm. experiences are not replicated by anyone else (laughs) your your, like your experiences are not going to be the same as anyone else's so to have a unique application you just need to be yourself um and i think like i just did this entire spiel to my brother because he's currently applying for grad school right now Mm. and um i was reading through his statement of intent and i was like you know what, this is very basic. I'm like, I can tell that you are writing what you want them to hear. Mm. And that is the cliche. Anyone who writes for the person reading, it's very clear because those are the cliche things that you're going to like. It's a very corny, cheesy statement of interest because that's what everyone thinks they want to hear. You talk about yourself from the heart and be very genuine and that is what will stand out. Um, And I think it's easy to get cheesy about public health. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of inequity, this and that. And it's like you can sound like everybody else. So you have to tap into your lived experience to write the best Mm -hmm. personal statement. Mm -hmm. One thing that has worked really well for me when I was doing it, I only had about two weeks to do it because I only decided two weeks before the deadline that I was going to apply. So I... You know, I contacted my references, wrote something up really quick, uh, but still went through a couple different iterations about what there's things that you write that don't feel right, maybe either too personal or feels too wishy-washy. And 
as a person of integrity, you might go, eh, no, I don't think I'm going to put this forward. And you'll go through a couple of those. But think about what makes you frustrated. That's a good place to start. So what do you talk to your friends? Everyone has that friend that in the world of news that we're in today, in the world of information, there's something that triggers them the most. There's people that follow policy a lot like hey, the government can you believe that the government did this and if they did this this is going to happen and then you have the people that follow more global news who are always calling you perfect can you believe that in this country yeah. that they're doing this think about those things though there's some things there that you need to be aware of that you can put on your letter so mm-hmm. why does it bother you so much that these rights are taking being taken away from these people ask yourself the question is there, is there a personal connection to you? Is there a connection to your family, your heritage? Mm-hmm. What do you want to do about that? And is there something that you've recognized that is not being done very well that you want to do something about? Do you have the skills to do something about it as it is right now? And what skills are you needing in the future to be able to then do something about it? Those are the questions that you're asking yourself as you're writing yeah. your letter and like, and, how will this program fill right. those gaps? Exactly. Putting the yeah. pieces together. So that's what I it comes down to. I definitely think a statement of interest is almost like a professional diary entry, you know? Mm, okay. um, <laughs> a cohesive prof- professional A cohesive diary. professional, super, super cleaned up diary <laughs> entry. Um, your first draft, if, you know, you're following our advice here and trying to be genuine and really reflecting on yourself and why you want to apply here, mm. it will be very rough like it will be not that professional you'll be using quite a bit of colloquial words and you'll be kind of sometimes making connections that don't connect really um that comes in the editing process your Mm -hmm. first draft is not going to be your final draft anywhere close to it um and as jawara said you know sometimes you're going to like start from scratch but never erase anything don't delete it Mm -hmm. start a new draft Mm -hmm. um because you never know you might go back and be like hey that one sentence and that don't do it in helpful. one day because I find <laughs> yeah. that too. Sometimes you wake up and your creativity is way better than yeah. like the last two days. So if you're, yeah. you have a very short window to get it done, like over the span of two days, your first draft is going to be your final draft and you don't really want that. So start as early as possible. You might get frustrated. You might not look at it for a week or two. If you have enough lead time, you start it again, you rework this and eventually you come up with something that you're satisfied with and then you can run it by your friends and colleagues to see. You know, obviously you might have some intimate details in there that you don't necessarily want to share with someone on LinkedIn that you don't mm-hmm. really know very well, but you share it with your closest friends who you trust their opinion on and mm-hmm. maybe who have done it before or your close colleagues and they can give you some very important feedback. Yeah, something I realized is when I come back to my draft like a couple weeks later, I realized the number of changes I want to make and I actually didn't like the first draft that I wrote. So I think coming back to it with new eyes after you haven't looked at it for a while is really helpful because when you're writing it every single day and editing it, that's all your brain has inside and you're not able to, you know, give a fresh new pair of eyes to it. So I think it's very important to just take a break from it sometimes and then come back to it, which again is is why you should probably start your application a few months ahead of the deadline. You said couple weeks and my eyes went. I know. Whoa. I don't know, Gordon, how you did that. But yeah, I, I also <laughs> did mine in like 
a month and a half. Like I really didn't start months in advance. So don't listen to me. No, I like writing. I like writing. I do too. So I think that makes it easier. Like my brother started three months in advance. So it depends on Mm -hmm. your um, timeline of it. Just if I can veer away a little bit from the statement of interest, I think there's some confusion also when it comes to applying for grad school versus like job applications. What's the difference between a resume or a CV and like, does it need to be that difference, different? And like, totally what kind different. of thing would you be applying to for a grad school yeah. application versus a job? Like, I feel like usually for the grad school applications, they ask for a CV and not a resume because they want to see, you know, the experiences that you've had to date that are not just professional based, but also academic based. I think that's really important to show how you are as a student and like the things that you've been involved in outside of school. So I think when you're submitting your grad school application, I'd say majority of them require a CV and maybe try to include more experiences than less. At least that was my experience versus, you know, how we talked about earlier when you when you put in a resume, you want to include just what's specific for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely a distinction between the two. What if they have like a cap? You can only have a two-page CV. That's basically a resume, isn't it? Yeah, but not necessarily. So there's a couple of things leading up to the answer. So which country? Different countries have different norms. Some countries will call a CV a resume and they're exactly the same thing functionally. Some countries are very, very, very different. And then what academic institutions are you applying for? And always, when in doubt, ask the admin officers what their expectations are for the application. So if you're doing it in advance and you're not sure, and the difference is very important for you, maybe you would do it very differently. Always ask the question. Bindra is right. There are some grad programs though who are more like professional based. So like uh, the Western MPH program is more of a professional based masters than like all masters is professional, but more like this purpose of this masters is to drop you in a job and you could do everything right away if my memory serves that one warranted a resume but there might Mm -hmm. be more thesis based masters where they might be looking for a cv for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. so just make sure you look into it don't gloss over it uh look into it okay what country am i applying to google difference between resume and cv in canada and you might see a reputable source say it's the same thing, which it, it's not in Canada. But if it does, you can say, okay, cool. I'll submit the one that fits my experience better. Some of them might I did say, that once. hold on, it's very different. And then you need to pay attention to those. I remember I applied for a job in England and they asked for a CV and I attached my academic like six page CV. <laughs> and then later I was like, wait, I think they were asking for my resume. See? So you got to so, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> You got to Google it. Same way, like some countries, you can put your pictures on your resume. Mm. And in some countries, it's like, nope, do not do that. It's just not going to help you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Maybe just to shift gears a bit from the actual application, um, let's talk a bit about practicum positions or like mm-hmm. internship opportunities. What was your experience like kind of going through that process? And did you know right away that, you know, you wanted to pursue a certain practicum or like what field of internship you wanted to 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 do before going in or was that a decision that you made afterwards wait can we ask jure what her current process is since she mm. may be looking for practicums how are you approaching this right now i was actually about to say that i don't think i can answer this question because we just had our info sessions for practicums like two weeks ago 
So you're looking to us for some advice, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'd love okay. to hear your insight. Okay. Mine's not very exciting, so I don't know if I'll, if I'll share Mine's that. just sad because I, I can tell you how I approached all of it and then it never worked out because COVID <laughs> came in the way. That, but that's a, that's a valuable lesson. Like You can plan it all out and it doesn't it work out the way you want. It still breaks my heart, Gordon, mm-hmm. like talking about all the stuff that I had lined up for 2020. So and, you, and you chose... But also how you shifted, Purva. I think that's very important. You know, when like, yeah. you know, things don't go as planned how like what did you end up so, doing yeah that's a good question like talk about okay. even the you mentioned that you had chosen yeah the global health because of that international experience mm-hmm. COVID happened you didn't really get it as part of your program mm-hmm. and then you had to pivot again to find a different practicum yeah. like, it was a real real hard pivot too so yeah. um basically i think i started reaching out to places as soon as um, holidays started. So we didn't have our first info session until I think actually, or yeah, I think we had our first one right before the holidays, so around this time like Jaweria had. Um, I had already crafted the email I was going to start sending out to everybody because um, for the masters in global health, they did not have um, connections that could, they could set us up for. It was a lot of cold emailing and it was very nerve wracking. That was the first time I did cold email. Now I can do it very easily, but I used to get so anxious. I used to read my emails 20 times before I sent them out. And it was, I remember talking to LaShawn because him and I were in the program together and I was just always complaining. I'm like, oh my God, I hate this. Like, it's so hard and this and that. And he's gone through it before he did his MPH before. And he's like, it's fine. Just do it. Like they won't answer. That's the worst case scenario. Um, so it was really nerve wracking, but I had a Google Doc of um, a template of what I wanted to say. It was basically like not too long, not too short, a bit of context on who I am, what program I'm in. And I linked, you know, the program page so they could look at it, make sure it was legit if they hadn't heard about um, McMaster because I was applying to, I wanted to do an abroad, like out of country practicum. So I was applying to places that may not have heard of McMaster. And so I had this really good, and then I made a giant spreadsheet of all the places that I would love to do a practicum in. And I just did a lot of researching into the different research institutes, the different NGOs, nonprofits. I think the first step is knowing what exactly you want to be doing a practicum in. So I knew that I wanted to do something either in advocacy, in policy work, or in um, within the realm of project management within an NGO or a nonprofit. So those were the things. And then I had like my safety backups, which were things like more government-based stuff, like in Public Health Ontario and things like that, that were very like policy work and not much advocacy really. So I had those as my safe backups. So I really narrowed it now down on what type of job I wanted to do. And I created a list of organizations that one did internships or practicums um i was willing to do things unpaid um that's a really big key thing so if you only want paid internships or a paid practicum that will narrow down where you can apply and what you can do i was willing to go unpaid because i wanted the experience and i know that that is a very privileged opportunity to be able Mm. to take Um, so that's another thing so i was just i had this giant list and i just cold emailed as many people as I could. Another way of finding, which LaShawn was a big fan of, is if you find a research paper from an organization or a like annual report, there will be point of contacts within those reports. Mm-hmm. So you can email those point of contacts being like, I read your study on so-and-so 
found it incredibly interesting and I would love to be able to chat about the opportunity to do a practicum or an internship with your team or in your organization. Always make it personalized. So I had my template, but I was personalizing a good portion of it. So it doesn't seem like it's a generic email. So definitely do that. I did that for months. I think I started getting actual success on it in like February. So I started doing like I made my drafts. I started reaching out like around Christmas. I was doing like one or two cold emails a week. It's really less. But then once like mid-January hit, I was doing one every day at least. So just trying to get as many as you can out there because a lot of people just won't answer you and some people will. And then some of them have very proper application processes. If you have an internship or practicum, like the one that I was trying to secure, they actually had cover letter, resume. The cold emailing is really only there if you had the name of the manager and you were like, hey, by the way, I applied to this position in your team. I'd love to be able to chat with you to hear more about it. Some of them are very much like applying to jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I ended up getting one in, yeah. um, I think, early April. And then I spent weeks trying to figure out visa because it was in the States. Oh, right. um, and another so thing is that when you have an international student, when you're in the States, you're or you're university will sponsor your visa mm-hmm. but they didn't do that um so like mcmaster wasn't going to be sponsoring my visa application and you had to be eligible to like work in the states right. in order to even get that position so so per quick question on that yeah did that involve you moving to the states for the practicum or was that even though you were going to do it remote so it wasn't remote this was before oh. covid so it would have oh, been me moving to moving seattle to be able to work there um And so I was like constantly on call with HR at that organization. I think I did three calls with them to figure out the visa stuff. I was so close to getting it all. And they were like, okay, here's like some third party people that you can work with to get the visa, this and that. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened. (laughs) And so when COVID happened, it was like, they just full out said no. They said, this is against our policy. We don't do remote internships. We don't have the infrastructure for it. And we believe Mm. that remote internships will not give you a good learning opportunity. So it just literally, oh, yeah, they started doing remote internships within six months. So it was like a big, I was like over here with my like super last minute internship, like in August. And I saw them start posting for remote internships and I was like ready Uh, to fight. (laughs) So I'm going to follow up on that because we did get a question in preparation for this episode. A couple of questions about internships. So if you're able to say or comfortable saying, was that, would that, was that planned to be a paid internship? That one was. So it didn't okay. have, it wasn't paid. It did have a stipend. It did have a stipend. So yeah. basically when we get questions too, and this is important for people who are all over the world looking to work in particular countries, understand that it's not as simple as just sending an email and say, yes, you can start tomorrow. Mm. You can have a lot of work visa situations there, yeah. especially if money is to be exchanged. And even for volunteer situations, there might be a situation where they don't take interns outside of the country. Yeah. So you might want to have to read the fine print. Right, if you might want to check into that. Yeah. If you're trying to find an internship or practicum out of country, you need to read what are the these like little diplomatic procedures you have to get done. Because mm-hmm. if you say you get the job and they're like, 
you end up showing up and they're like, you can't legally work here. We, you can't, you can't, right. you just can't. So you have to look through all that stuff. Also, um, another thing with internships. Okay. Yeah. What is an internship? Is it something that you do while you're in school or you can do it outside of school? Because I always get confused when people maybe graduated two years ago and are looking for internships. Would it not just be you're looking for volunteer experiences or have, a job? Yeah. I'm they not have sure. professional internships. I think, okay. mm-hmm. yeah, so you can get, again, when you go onto the internship posting or program, they have sometimes internship programs, they will have a really nice layout on who can apply and right. who can't I've apply. Seen, I've seen the ones where it's like, if you graduated two months two ago, ago, but I've never seen it that far out. So I know like the WHO one, for example, you can apply for two years since graduating. Yes. And I think internship in general is just implied with a mentorship, like an active mentoring aspect to it. So Hmm. if it's a paid internship or a stipended internship, you're getting paid for the job that you're doing. But compared to a normal job, there's going to be a good amount of mentorship with it. And I think they also are more lenient with the fact that you're learning and you're not a wor- like a full working professional, you know? I think that's a bit different from practicum then because practicum is only for if it gives you credit for school or for it's a part yes. of your schooling. Mm-hmm. I think internship yeah. you can do after you're done schooling for yeah. an X amount of time, right? Though, isn't a practicum really just like people were applying for job positions as a way to get their practicum. Like a practicum is really a fulfillment from the school side of it you won't be able to go outside into a workplace or a organization and say like i'm looking for a practicum they won't understand it yeah exactly i think if the org if you tell the organization that i need to you know if you felt like if you give me a job then can i use that as a part of my practicum experience because they have to sign off certain forms they have to do i think it's like by monthly or something evaluation because you're there for like four months or something depending on how long it is they do have to evaluate you and i think that's Mm -hmm. the key to it being a practicum versus like a job Mm -hmm. position i agree yeah if you're applying you have to let them know that this is going to be things they're going to have to do they're going to have to do an end of term report for you or mark you and this and that yeah Yeah. we also had that episode that we did almost a year ago about practicum positions which we'll yes. share in the description for people yes who would like to check that out yeah yes the first so one. we're gonna do a little rapid fire guys Ooh. so this is our insight blitz segment where we will ask each of you a few questions and then read some statements where you'll be able to provide a response to each so maybe i'll start off with gordon first mm. What, Gordon, was the most important step that you took to land your first job after completing your graduate program? Having conversations with people in positions to make hiring decisions. So what I mean by that, I know it's supposed to be quick. There was someone, senior person in an organization. I basically asked them about job prospects and what were the most available jobs. They told me what the most available job was. I said, cool, I'm going to build my practicum experience to get that job and then i did that got the job and then we're here where we are now that's, that's pretty like much that. it okay next one what's the Very most practical out of box thing that you've ever done in pursuit of the practicum or job joaria i'm gonna ask you this the most out of box thing you've done for me i think the most out-of-pocket thing i did was actually with an application 
I don't know if I'm allowed to give a lot of info into it, but essentially I applied for a master's program. Actually, I applied for two master's programs that I didn't fully qualify for, but I got an acceptance letter into both of those programs anyway. So I would say take your chances. If you like a program, apply. <laughs> Sometimes there's small nuances that they ask for, and it's okay to look them over if you're passionate about it. For example, some programs will say, your references have to be academic references. And if you just have better professional references, I would say take the risk and apply. Use kind of like just take your best shot at it and use the things that you're confident in, whether it be your references, your application, how you're framing your application to acknowledge that you are lacking in some components, but you're making up for it in other ways. And to really just I would say just go for it. And I think that's the most out-of-pocket thing I did. So basically, just be a risk-taker like Joaria. <laughs> Joaria is the biggest risk-taker on our team. I really think so. <laughs> I mean, you have nothing to lose. Like, the most, like, the biggest L that you'll take is just not getting in, which is, you know, you'll get over it. Life goes on. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Getting that's a true. t-shirt with that. You'll get over it. Life goes on. <laughs> Okay, Purva, what competency or skill did you wish that you focused on more uh, developing while in your practicum or program? Oh, gosh, so much. You guys, like, my practicum was what I wanted to do, really. But with what I ended up getting, I was doing a lot of things that were behind the scenes, like post-research, qualitative analysis, and this and that. It's not my major area of interest, so I really wish I had advocated for myself a little bit more and given my supervisor the opportunity to set up a learning experience that would have been more fruitful for me I understand she did me a big favor because I had to find something within three weeks essentially I think I could have really been like I really want a more professional setting like I want to be able to sit in on some of these like big meetings that you do with the ethics board or whatever you go through like I want to be more involved in the professional like person like you know people side of it and not just this back cleaning up your research and this and that because that's what I want like I really wish I had advocated for my learning experience Mm. a little bit more Mm -hmm. and even doing that would have been a really good setup for like when you get into your job and advocating for hey I really want to tailor my job to doing more of this because I work in a very small team so I take on a lot of hats right now like I I'm working a lot of different types of responsibilities and eventually you know it's taken me a while to be able to say I want to do more of things like this not things like that Mm. you know so that those type of skills and advocating for your professional development and your learning learning experience I think is a skill that I wish I had had the chance to I wish I had done during Mm. my practicum and program in general really yeah I think if you're not advocating for what you want um if you're not speaking up then you won't get what you want in your job right so I think that's a really important point they can't Mm -hmm. read your mind Mm -hmm. okay I wasn't expecting that that was a good one I want to put you in a hot seat a little bit Vindra so I'll ask you (laughs) how many job applications did you submit to get your first job after your MPH Okay, so my first job after my MPH, um, technically I got it right, like it was my practicum position, they just extended Mm. my contract and gave it to me. But my job after that, when I was looking to go outside of my practicum organization, 
I remember I like made a whole like Excel sheet and I was like organizing myself in terms of applications and interviews and things like that. And I remember I submitted 50 applications, got like okay, 10 interviews or maybe that's pretty good. Eight, eight, nine interviews, like a bit under 10. And then I had gotten two of them and I had to pick between one. So that was like mm, the outcome nice. of it. But I remember it was a very like rigorous process. And I, I was very picky in terms of like, this is the type of job I want because I was leaving a position I already had. I was trying mm-hmm. to look for something better. Mm-hmm, Were mm-hmm. the two very different? They were very different because my practicum was more government. It was more like public health unit, health promotion, whereas I wanted to expand more into research. So I'm like, I want to explore the other side of public health and go more into research. And so I really shifted gears and decided to look for very different positions after that. Okay, Gordon. So having started your public health career, what skills have you been applying the most in your job that you gained from your practicum? Ooh, it's a good question. Hmm. I would say politicking and problem solving. So what I mean by that is it's similar to what Perba mentioned. I realize, and same as my advice in a previous episode about like, you don't have to wait till the end to make corrections. I realized that I was very passive early on in my practicum experience is what waiting for things to pass my way. And I had already moved, I married, my wife's in a different province. And then I realized I didn't come here to waste time and I don't want to regret things and I have enough time to change things. So I started to advocate more for what I wanted to learn. My project wasn't going the way I wanted it to. And I could have just showed up to work every day and pretending like I was doing stuff on the computer, got her to sign off my stuff and graduated. But I said, no, that's not what I wanted. So I started talking with people in the office, learning ways that I could help them. And then that eventually led, even though my practicum was unpaid, they were able to see my skill set. And upon leaving, my boss offered me a contract to do some research and knowledge translation work. So that's what I would say about that. Politicking mm-hmm. and I forgot the other one. I just wanted to sound smart. That's why I picked two. <laughs> now I can't remember the other one. I like that, Gordon. Yeah. Okay, so the last question is for Joaria because she's the most early on in her career right now. And the question I have for you, Joaria, is what competency or skill set are you looking to develop for the future as you develop your career? I think for myself, I'd say personal and professional sustainability, where both in terms of academic or professional choices, because for me, the work I do, the research I do, as well as being an MPH student, everything is geared towards public health and health promotion. So just making decisions that are both practical, but also sustainable. As we've heard of like from our team today, it's a matter of making decisions that are that serve your best interest, but are also just sustainable for the way that you want your professional life and your personal life to flourish over time. So definitely something I'm working on is just making sustainable choices that don't overwhelm me in the future and I'm not taking on more than I can actually be responsible for and do in an efficient way. It's a very intimidating process, grad school applications. I know we sometimes do it to like, we don't know what to do next, let's do grad school, but it's not easy and I'm glad we can provide some tips today. Again, as Gordon said, there are previous podcast episodes that we've done that will give you further insight onto practicums, applications, things like that. Um, yeah, I think this has been a really good, like, nice Kickstarter for people who are looking into and just looking for some tips. 
Yeah. Stay and you remember, when you're doing applications. Yeah. And Be I genuine. like your point. I like your point, Perva. It kind of touches on beginning your applications, completing them, getting in grad school. Those are all milestones, but you're nowhere near the end of the road. Mm-hmm. So you can exhale for a bit, celebrate, and then you have to figure out what the next steps are pretty quickly after that. So don't mm-hmm. rest on your laurels too long, but you need to think about what the next steps are. Yeah. It's just yeah. the beginning of your journey. The Which beginning sometimes... of the beginning of a journey. Yes. <laughs> Think long term. Like even when you're applying for an application, like practicums, you're going to be thinking long term. So you have to sit on that. Every experience counts. You yeah. can always use some sort of skills or whatever you've learned from a certain experience, whether it's like a four-month practicum or a two-year right. position, even if you didn't yeah. enjoy it, you're going right. to gain something out of that to benefit you in your career in the long run. But yeah, attitude's important. Some programs that have internal practicum options, you know, if there's one position and everybody has it, number one, and there's 50 people in the class, there are 49 people that are not going to get their number one position. Yeah. And you have to figure out what that looks like after that. So make the best of what you get. The practicum is not the end of the world. If you don't get Mm -hmm. what you want to get, you have to maximize the opportunity that you get and work hard for what you want. But, work well with what you get and roll with the punches roll with the punches it's not in just throwing out cliches out there it really is roll with punches be yourself (laughs) life's like a box be willing to pivot if anything happens that's not according to plan pivoting (laughs) pivot all right just put the gif of ross okay and that's a wrap everyone (laughs) (laughs) i want to close this off blooper so that's a wrap from bindra Oh, and we say Gardies. <laughs> you were saying them for us. Gordon, Joaria, and Perva. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope that you were able to at least gain a few tips for applying to grad school, for applying to your practicums, and just framing your career journey onwards. We hope that you found it helpful and stay tuned for more episodes. Happy holidays. Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.